Uh, hey, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Investment News Podcast. Uh, I'm Jeff Benjamin, co-hosting along with Bruce Kelly. Uh, I wanted to mention that this is our 90th episode of this wonderful and exciting podcast, which means we must be closing in on 90. two years. Bruce O, what do you think of that? I can't believe it. Yeah. It feels like just yesterday. Yeah, you this and is I a started pod- speaking across this electronic medium, my friend. Yes, uh, it is a podcast that has uh, spent its entire existence uh, in and through the COVID pandemic. So, like a lot uh, of podcasts, I think. Yeah, right? well, like a lot of things. Um, yes. <laughs> so, all right. Well, this week we have a uh, always a special guest, but uh, one of our favorite guests, I would yes, say, Jeff, extra right? special this week because we we actually work with him, sort of. Uh, Emil Halle, who's the U.S. news editor for ESG Clarity, a sister publication of Investment News, until a month or a couple of months We're ago. We're owned by uh, the same company, in yes, other words. Yes, Hill. Yes. We are owned by the same company. Uh, until a month or so ago, Emil was uh, a- He was uh, just one of us. He was just a regular Joe, uh, <laughs> writing about things for Investment News, but then he- uh, you know, he went uh, he went full ESG on us, and um, you know we still you'll still see his his fine work in our in investment news. But uh, his uh, his first love is now ESG clarity. Uh, we're going to talk to Emil about this new SEC proposal that just came out on the I think the twenty second of March, a couple days ago from this recording, uh, and what it does. And Emil's going to give us the the lowdown, but but basically. It, uh, it proposes, and it still has to go through a few steps before it becomes a, a rule or a law, but it, it, it proposes that uh, public companies, and I think some private companies, have to increase dramatically, in some cases, the disclosures that they make regarding their, uh, their impact on the, on the environment. That's the lead-in to you, Mr. Hele. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. You are my favorite financial news podcast to be on wow that is, i hope that means that, something that, that's high praise jeff why is he still trying to butter us up he, I, he doesn't I, work with us anymore i, I don't want no you to grill idea. me don't ask any hard questions emil we we already got the check and it cleared for you coming on the show so you don't really have to nothing else is necessary you got a check anyway, i got oh. i got overdraft that's good oh, so. I, I guess i was supposed to split it with you bruce i'm sorry oh um, man anyway uh I have so a question Emil. for you guys before oh, we yeah, start sure. what, yes. what are you gonna do you're coming up on 100 episodes what are you going to do for uh for number 100 it's got to be something special Ooh. yeah I'm, I'm thinking i'm hoping there's going to be cake we're going to have you on as a yeah. guest <laughs> we're going to have we're going to play our greatest hits i could jump out of a cake how about that you could have both Huh. Yeah, well, let's not get too crazy. Anyway, so Emil, uh, what do you know about this thing? I know you. I know you've been writing about it. I know you referenced it earlier this uh, week as a uh, one of the biggest things to happen at ESG this year. It's, it's been a long year. time coming, too, right? It seems like we've been talking about this for a long time. Yeah, the SEC uh, started collecting some comments on the subject last year, and then. On Monday, they they published their proposed rule. It is 510 pages long, um, so a lot of the nuance in there. Um, 
it's going to take a little while for folks to analyze what some of the implications will be. And it will be interesting to see um, what folks say in the public comment period that we're in um, that goes for 60 days before the SEC um, could finalize this. I'm sorry, and for how many days? 60. 60. Okay. And people usually post comments near the end of the time period for these things, right? They do. It's usually last minute right. and it's because they, they want as much time to think about it as possible. And some things could kind of come up at the last minute. Um, you know, if, if, if one commenter notices something, others might think about that same topic a little bit. Um, so yeah, you won't, we won't have a great idea about uh, the full scope of comments until, you know, uh, for pretty much 60 days. But um, so what the SEC did on Monday is they proposed these rules for climate disclosures for public companies. And if it, if it pertains to any private companies, I, I don't, I don't really know what's, how that works. But what's, what's interesting is that they're mandating emissions disclosures. Mm -hmm. So these fall into three categories. And for many companies, so they, they're called scope one, scope two, scope three. Scope one and two are the easiest to report. Scope one emissions are the emissions that a business puts out in its, its normal operations. And scope two are associated with the energy that it purchases in order to operate. But where things get tricky is, is scope three is very wide ranging. And for a lot of businesses, like if you are like a retailer, it, it, it pertains to all of the emissions associated with everything up and down your value chain. So that, that's you know, the materials used to make the products. And, and it could mean what happened, like what, what emissions are associated with the products after they've been sold. Yeah, that's, that's the part of meal where I was talking about private companies. If your supply chain includes private companies, you're going to need to know what their emissions profile is. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I, I, I could not tell you for certain. Um, it, it, it could be that that information needs to be collected by the public company mm -hmm. that is the distributor so that it's, it's informed. Um, but how that all shakes out, I, I don't know. You'd have to talk to somebody who's a little bit more well-informed on it than I am. And uh, I, I know that right now there are a lot of people who are combing through this very, very lengthy proposed rule to get a grasp on, on what it means for companies. Because it's a pretty huge thing to disclose these things. They have to, you know, in addition, publish their climate-related risks um, that could have a material impact on business. I can understand, you know, 510 pages, that's like 505 more pages than I normally like to read. And I can understand why it's still so much of it is up in the air. Do you have any sense for whether or not this could be like a, I know this isn't a, a bill going through Congress, but could it kind of evolve in that way where things get added to it and things get taken from it as it in, in the back and forth process? Well, it's hard to imagine that with the SEC and then the composition that it has right now, that it's not going to pass pretty close to the way that it was drafted. Okay. And, and I don't mean all of the nuances in those 510 pages, but, but the gist of it, that companies are going to have to disclose these emissions across different categories. You know, it, maybe it could be that there's more flexibility on some of the timing of it and, you know, what companies can be exempt from some of them. Some smaller companies won't necessarily have to report their scope three emissions. I mean, they may just not have the resources 
to be able to to get a grasp right. it's going to be a difficult thing to do well i know i i understand what you're saying about it likely to pass because you know the 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 majority supports it by a 3-2 vote at least in in the proposal but but it's a democratic proposal, Jeff. Right. Obviously, right? Yeah, there's only one. Have the majority on the SEC. Yeah, that's what I was. That's right. what I meant. The, the majority supports it. But what I'm saying is, you got to kind of ask what the point is of a of a 60 day comment period if they're not going to be open to you know some change. I would like to think that the regulators do want to know about the genuine concerns that companies have, and yeah. you know, early early indications from some of the comments that they got before the proposed rule was made is that. It didn't look like there were a lot of public companies that were going to fight them a whole lot on scope one and two. Mm -hmm. they, they realized that they're going to have a hard time making the case they don't have to disclose those things because it's pretty easy to get. Scope three is where they're going to want, if not more time to phase that in. Yeah, that they may just not want to have to report it at all. But I, I think good luck with that. It's just the major chunk of emissions associated with so many businesses. And it's, it really highlights what, what some of the risks are and things that, you know, arguably in, informed investors need to know about if they consider climate change material, which in most cases they should. And that's what, Emil, that's what the comment period is used for too, right? The, Correct. You know, trade groups and trade associations will write in and say, to implement this in six months or 12 months will be a burden. It would more likely take 24 months if this goes through or something. Right. Yeah. And, and, and these these requirements phase in, I think, starting in 2025 for some of the biggest companies. Mm. And they don't. And I think that, um, you know, the last phase in year is like 2028. And some are already doing some big companies are already doing this stuff. Right. They do. They do. So they have the data. Part of the difficulty that investors have is that there isn't really a uniform way that they're presented. And so that right. makes wearing different securities kind of difficult. So that, you know, that's one thing that the SEC wants to address with this. They, of course, want more reporting. That's pretty important. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I think, you know, asset managers in particular, even if they don't necessarily think that that information is relatively useful for a particular company, they're always in favor of more disclosure. Um, the more information you have, the more intelligent decisions you can make around how you build your portfolios and, and what companies you decide to, to keep in there. Jeff, that's something that you've talked to people about in the past, right? It is, Bruce, you're right. I mean, almost every story that I write on ESG includes a perspective, and I wrote one just today about it, and it, people are talking about the rankings and the data that's out there. It is so kind of scattershot and piecemeal, and this won't even solve that, even if it goes through as is, but it will it will be a step in the right direction to some uniformity. Right. But I read a couple of stories this week that even question whether or not the SEC has the authority to make this kind of <laughs> requirement. Did you get anything on that? Yeah. And that was part of Commissioner Purse's objection to it mm -hmm. as well, I think. And she's the, the question... only Republican commissioner on the, the commission of the SEC yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think well, the argument comes down to materiality. Mm -hmm. And that was something that Gary Gensler had laid out in, in his argument for it quite a bit before the vote. You know, as someone who writes about ESG, I, I think that it's, there's a very compelling case that these are material issues. I think a lot of uh, managers would agree, but to the extent that they would be immaterial, then, you know, maybe there's an argument there, but it's, it's a question of what's material and what's not. Right. Well, and then the other thing, and, and our colleague Mark Sheff brought this up in a, in a meeting earlier this week, that uh, if these things aren't expected to kick in until 
2025, what's the chances of if we have a change of administration in 2024 that these things never take effect because they just reverse them? Oh, I don't even want to speculate about that. It's the Department of Labor fiduciary rule all over. Yeah. And their stance on ESG as well. That's gone back and forth a lot. You know, I, I would like to think that for every, you know, few steps forward and a step back that, you know, we make progress as a society over time, but <laughs> who knows who knows what is going to happen in the future and what different lobbying groups can do to persuade the politicians who uh, appoint the commissioners your guess is as good as mine yeah and that's why all we're doing is speculating here because we don't know what's going to happen in 2024 but well, I'm it's just, just a proposal you know yeah i know but what, what i'm trying to say is it would seem and maybe there's I'm sure there's all kinds of reasons for this, but it, it would be, it would seem to behoove them if they just made this thing take effect in like January 2024. So at least it would have it would be ensconced a little bit if there is a, a change in political leadership or something like that. I don't know. But so yeah, and and I think that you know it, it's likely that it you know it will become effective even though the dates by which companies have to comply is down the road. You know, right. the rule itself will actually be you know, enacted. But, you know, I think part of the larger picture is looking at what this does in terms of visibility and, and making it something that shareholders want companies to consider. And they already, you know, this is already something that a lot of shareholders ask for. If, if we're looking mm -hmm. at all of the different proxy votes that are happening and all these shareholder resolutions that are around reporting, a lot of private companies are starting to report these things or set net zero targets because they realize they're going to have to, you know, yeah. some companies themselves see this as a material risk. I mean, we have fossil fuel companies that are setting net zero targets. I don't know how practical it is that they can get there, but they're doing <laughs> I think they're maybe getting into a different line of business. It's the only way of fossil There's a concern that, that oil companies are going to move into a different, they want to be energy companies broadly. Mm -hmm and you know move away from fossil fuels but the very real concern is that they will spend or they will um, sell off those legacy parts of their businesses to private equity and they'll still exist in some form but the company uh, itself will change but that doesn't mean that you know the problem with fossil fuels goes away by any means i hope not because i still have a internal combustion engine truck that i need to get to and from with but um hey um what about this is what I thought was interesting. And, and, and I know there's a lot of kind of celebration, and I think rightly so for this proposal. But if you talk in ESG, it really only deals with the E, right? I mean, it, the S and G are also important for for disclosure, right? Social and governance is, is, do you think that there's any way that those two things could be addressed uh, in a similar fashion? I mean, they certainly could. Um, and on the, the, the shareholder side, that's something that increasingly is being addressed as well. This proxy season is one of the busiest ever, if not the busiest. The number of resolutions that have been filed, is, uh -huh. it's crazy. And these votes are getting majorities in a lot of cases. And a lot of that is around um, gender pay gaps and, and diversity issues. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's something that... Um, is also getting a lot of attention that, that hopefully, you know, more companies will start reporting voluntarily 
or or doing you know doing right in in cases where they're not uh, compelled to by a regulator. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know it, it's also something that regulators are paying attention to. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm 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 interested to see what goes on. I you know you do see companies voluntarily report this, and you would think if you're already doing uh, things along these lines, you would report them unless you're not tracking them, you're just doing them, but you do have to track them, I guess, because they're going to want to be quantified. I, I want to ask you one other thing about something that you talked about recently, um, the a new target date ESG uh, strategy in the works, or can you, do you have enough to talk about that? Oh, sure. I wrote a story about it today. That's the Natixis ESG target date series. I forget the name of it. It has sustainability or sustainable in there. So that actually launched five years ago. And Jeff, as you probably know, if you're a 401k fiduciary, you don't want to put a brand new product on your menu, Mm -hmm. particularly if it's the QDIA. Target day funds are where the vast majority of of new contributions in 401k plans go. Mm -hmm. People don't in many cases, select what they invest in. They're just defaulted into these things. So um, getting- Yeah, they're the default investment, right? Right. Part of the reason why there hasn't been a lot of attention to ESG, you know, incorporated into the target date funds is that the Department of Labor stance was a little bit unclear. And in the Trump administration, um, you know, one of the, the final rules that was passed Uh, before the Biden administration had to do with ESG. And specifically, you know, they, they made a a case to not, or to, to, to basically say ESG should not be part of the qualified default investment option in a plan. You, you could technically have some ESG investments if you consider the right things, but target day funds are basically taken off the table and that's changed in the Biden administration. So, um, one interesting thing that I learned from the Texas today is that there are 270 plans or more that already use this target date series. Wow. There, there's one other product out there from BlackRock. It's the ESG version of their life path index. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how widely used that is. That's a much newer product that launched in 2020. Uh, I think, uh, I think that's it on the mutual fund side. Someone mm-hmm. can correct me if I'm wrong, but there are not a lot of ESG target date. BlackRock there. better get their, stuff together they're the they're the loudest voice in this category and you know the biggest company out there they should have a raft of these products out there to you know walk the talk um how much money's in that in the texas target do you know that total fund 94 million dollars through february so it's a small yeah it's understandably it's a small product right it just had their five-year performance reported so Uh Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's probably, it, it takes a while for something in 401k plans to yeah. um, really, you know, ramp up those assets. But five years, that that checks one of the boxes, you know, it's got a little right. bit of a track record and mm-hmm. the assets are, you know, minuscule by, by retirement plan. I mean, 94 million, I think that's what Bruce has got in his plan alone. You weren't supposed to know about that, Jeff. Well, I, I got your password off your desk. It was just sitting there on a post-it note. Um, oh, man, the IRS might want to know about they that. I got curious. Um, hey, um, Emil, tell us what else is going on in ESG land. I mean, you got this cool new job where you're you're basically, you know, an international dude now. Yeah, I but, wanted uh, to know else? about ESG clarity and how yeah. to find that and how does that work with investment news, if that kind of jibes with your question there, Jeff. Yes. 
Okay. Well, the nice thing about being an investment news sister publication is that uh, you all run uh, our stories pretty regularly. There's usually at least one story a day in investment news daily. Um, we publish we or we have a, a newsletter that goes out on Saturday mornings and Mondays. So you can sign up for that at ESGClarity.com, and we have a version that is specific to the U.S., one for the EU, and one for Asia. And um, you know, we we write about all things ESG. Um, asset management issues, uh, things for advisors to consider. You know, what, uh, what are you curious about in particular in the ESG world we haven't, that we haven't talked about? It, it's such a, it's, you know, it's like, it encompasses so much that I'm like. Right, I, but how do I get it if I'm just a regular guy in New York City in the United States? How do I get ESG Clarity? Yeah, go to ESGClarity.com. Okay, and I can sign up for the newsletter there and all that? I hope so. Yes. <laughs> but that's kind of cool to be working for a global uh, publication because they do have offices in London, mm -hmm. uh, obviously. And do they have an office in Asia, too? Yes. Hey, Emil, I just want to ask you one thing about we always hear about, the, you know, the UK, the Europe is so far ahead of the US when it comes to ESG investing and asset management. And stuff. I mean, are you finding that? And is 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 the US kind of making strides to catch up? Or is this just something we'll, we'll always be behind them? Well, I hope we won't always be behind them. And you know, looking at this topic broadly, I think that you know, one of the really important things, this is that it's something people are more aware of, it's something that's getting more attention, companies are reporting things, you know, hopefully we're making progress. There are all these reports out showing that climate change is very real. And the consequences are, they can be just mm -hmm. dying. Like the picture is pretty grim. If we don't take a lot of action as a society in a short amount of time. And, you know, the things that the, the public companies and investors and financial services can do are, are a pretty huge component of that. So it's encouraging that that, that should happen. And, you know, I, I'm not sure totally about how the US could catch up to what Europe is doing, but how this SEC proposed rule plays out could be pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. One thing that I think is a little bit different from some of the requirements is that for scope one and two emissions, the SEC isn't just asking companies to make this data available to measure it and report it. They're asking, or they're, they're going to require as proposed companies to get independent third parties to verify that the data that they're putting out there is yeah. right, which is, that's, that's pretty huge. I mean, that's, that right. tells me there are probably a lot of consultants that are going to have to build out their businesses in order to accommodate that. But, you know, it, it shows that they're serious about it. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see how this whole thing unfolds. Well, how expensive is that going to be? Say if you're a LPL financial and you have office, your main offices are in San Diego and South Carolina, and you have two big towers. I think LPL has a pretty, as a green tower in, in San Diego, and you have 6,000 employees and then you have branches in Boston and Austin, I believe LPL does. What is that going to cost an LPL or a Raymond James, you know, or a T. Rowe Price or something? Well, you know, I think a lot of financial services companies, because they already have access to this information and they have, you know, so many of them are in lead certified buildings and, and you know, might already have clear net zero targets or use a lot of carbon offsets. You know, they know what they know. It's going to be a lot cheaper for them than public companies that have huge carbon footprints. You know, just having the emissions associated with having an office building and workers in it, it's, 
it, it can be a lot clearer than industrials. Right. Uh, it sounds like it's also going to be a bonanza for carbon offsets, which I think is a kind of a scam slash joke, but that's something our companies are going to have to disclose too, is how much they rely on offsets as part of their, their commitments. Yeah. Cause if they do that too much, then, you know, they're not, they're not really net zero. <laughs> I know. Well, that's the reason for the word net. Cause otherwise they just say zero. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, yeah. but the carbon, the offsets to me, I, I think it's a racket. I really do. I know there are some municipalities that they say, well, we know you can't afford uh, to put solar panels on your roof, but if you give the power company some extra money, we'll consider that a little bit of an offset. I mean, yeah, you're, you're subsidizing solar and, and that's, not, that's not necessarily a bad thing at all. Right. It can be part of a wider solution. All right, uh, Emil, good stuff. Thanks for being here. Um, we really appreciate your, your powerful ESG coverage. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been nice talking to you. Yeah, thanks, Emil. Good luck with the new gig and everything. All right, all right, and let me know. Uh, let me know when this episode 100 uh, happens, so I can uh, so I can be back on it. Okay? Yeah, you'll <laughs> you'll have to wear a tie for that one. Well, Jeff, that was another great episode of the Investment News Podcast. If it's Monday, it's time for another podcast. We want to thank our special guest, Emil Halle. Uh He is uh, he used to be just a, a plain simple man, a reporter at Investment News. Now. He's got this fancy title, Jeff, U.S. News Editor, ESG Clarity, a sister publication of Investment News. We also want to thank Angelica Hester, our producer. You can find the podcast at investmentnews.com. You can also find it on uh, at Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Please leave us a review on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. If you want to reach out to Jeff, you can find him on Twitter all the time, 24-7. His handle is at Benji Ryder. My Twitter handle is at BD News Guy. Stay tuned because we'll be talking to you next week.